Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 149 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I am sitting down with conservationist, wildlife educator, and streamer Maya Higa to talk about one of the toughest, bravest predators in the sky. We talk about the joys of falconry and wildlife rehabilitation, the reckless raptor lifestyle, environmentally friendly window decor, what to do if you find a baby bird on the ground, and what it's like to work alongside these modern day dinosaurs. Just the Zoo of Us presents Red-Tailed Hawks with Maya Higa. Everybody, it is Ellen Weatherford with Just the Zoo of Us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. I am so excited to be talking to y'all today with a brand new friend. This is Maya Higa. Say hi, Maya. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to hear from you. I bet probably some people listening, this is not their first time hearing your voice. There's probably a pretty decent overlap because you have your own podcast too, right? I do. I do. It's very different. Um, not animal related, <laughs> but I do have a podcast on Twitch. Yeah, called Wine About It. So I, I would imagine probably a, a couple of people heard your voice before, but probably from your video content that you have out on YouTube and on Twitch, we were just like, browsing through YouTube with my kid the other day and your like tiny microphone videos yeah like just came up naturally on our like YouTube ag- algorithm I was like oh my gosh <laughs> kids love that video but it just it hit 19 million today it's crazy it's still going I personally a full-grown adult <laughs> love that video oh, thank you so much <laughs> it was a lot of fun to make and the reason you make all these cool videos is because you work with some really incredible animals at your wildlife sanctuary. I would love it for our folks listening today. Before we talk about the really cool animal we're going to talk about, tell us a little bit about like the wildlife that you work with and how you got into doing this really cool work. Sure. Okay. So way back when, I, I grew up on a very small hobby farm in the Silicon Valley in California. So I've always been into animals. I went to school for agriculture, so thought I would be working in the ag industry, but ended up interning and volunteering at zoos in Central California, Central Coast. Got into exotics that way, became a falconer through those zoos. So then I was really into birds of prey, which we'll talk about birds of prey in a little bit. It's just super exciting. (laughs) And I started streaming on Twitch, which my explanation for Twitch for people that don't know is it's like YouTube, but live streaming. Started streaming on Twitch in 2019. And in working at zoos, I was doing outreach education. So bringing animals out to schools and senior centers and birthday parties and special events and teaching people about animals that way. And when I started streaming, I realized I could do that virtually. So I didn't have to load up the animals and bring them somewhere. And I could teach a lot more people at once than I could in a classroom. So started doing education with my red-tailed hawk in 2019 on stream. And then in 2021, I founded Alvea Sanctuary, which is a wildlife sanctuary in Austin, Texas. We're on about 15 acres. We have parrots here. We have donkeys, reptiles, chinchillas, crows, 
bunch of other stuff. I mean, we, we just started about a year ago. So it's actually, it's not a ton of animals, but we're kind of all over the map. And each of the ambassadors that we have is to teach people about a certain corner of conservation. So we have chinchillas for the fur trade. We have donkeys for traditional medicine. We have the parrots for the pet trade. We have reptiles for the pet trade. We have a frog for chytrid fungus and threats to amphibians. And I take all those ambassadors and I do live education programs on my Twitch stream. So that's what the, that's what the sanctuary is for. That's what the nonprofit is about. It seems like Twitch streaming would also maybe be less stressful for the animal too, right? Because they're not necessarily having to be like taken in front of a bunch of people. You can just kind of like point your camera at them and be like, okay, they're like in a comfortable place where they know. Exactly. It's the best. The hardest part about conservation education when I was working at zoos was the transport creating everybody and getting them into a van and then getting them in front of a bunch of people that they don't know. Some of the animals were great and some of them had a really hard time to the point where we couldn't even use them for education. So to have all the animals where they live and they're really comfortable in my studio and they're comfortable in our little training center down there and they never have to go anywhere. But uh, we're still accessing thousands of people at a time with them. So it is the best. It sounds like an ideal scenario for the animal, too, because they're like, okay, you get to love on me, but from a distance. Yeah. And they don't even know they're teaching people. They don't have to get pet by a bunch of people. They're just hanging out. Oh, good for them. I bet probably a lot of people are probably listening and being like, this seems like living the dream. I know a lot of people reach out to me saying like, oh, I really want to work with wildlife. I want to work in like a wildlife rescue sort of situation. What has that been like? Like, what is the experience like to, to work with like rescued wildlife? It's pretty incredible. I think growing up, I knew I was going to do animals. I thought I was going to be in the livestock industry. I wanted to work in sustainability in the livestock industry. So I've always cared about environmentalism and animals together. And then when I found conservation in college, it was like, oh, this is it. So it's the dream. I mean, I, I love it here. I love coming here every day. Um, I've gotten really close to all the animals we have at the sanctuary. And then being able to teach so many people on Twitch is exactly what, what I've been wanting to do for my entire life. So it's pretty great. And I'm glad that you're like embracing very current modes of communication, bringing very important issues onto a platform that is both like easily accessible for a lot of people and also like popular, right? Like people are already using Twitch to watch like video game streams and music and like already using it for like leisure and fun. So, you know, like meet people where they are, you know, like you don't have to get in your car and drive to uh, the zoo or the wildlife sanctuary to like have an educational experience. So yeah, I just think that's such a great idea. It's been great for education through COVID too. Twitch, is, Twitch has grown quite a bit. And then the other great thing about Twitch is like you mentioned, it's traditionally a video game platform or a gaming platform. So people will watch people play video games live. I'm not really a gamer myself, but it makes the demographic on Twitch mostly men between 18 and 25 or so, which is kind of an untapped demographic for conservation education. I think we're usually, we're really good at teaching young people or kids in schools and stuff, or older folks who are already interested in conservation or interested in biology. So that middle demographic is something that I get to reach every day with Twitch, which is super special. Uh, so the platform's great for that. I was just saying recently that like, I do feel like a lot of educational animal content is geared at either like little kids or scientists. Yep. And you don't get that like everyday young adulthood middle ground. And so I'm really glad to to see some, you know, like treating the young adult demographic not as like kids. <laughs> and being right. like, I think it's great. And it seems like you have a thriving audience of people who are connecting with the passion that you're bringing into it too it seems like it's really resonating with tons of people i hope so yeah it's going really well <laughs> so far okay so you mentioned that you started with falconry 
which is I think one of the coolest things a person can do because <laughs> they're just there's something so inherently powerful about like commanding isn't the right word but like wielding a bird of prey yeah for sure it, it never gets old putting your putting your hand up with the glove and a big bird swooping in and landing on your good never gets old it's the coolest feeling ever I feel like every time that would happen, I would have like a cinematic soundtrack that would play in my exactly. head every time. Yeah. Where like the wind kicks up and like <laughs> blows your hair in the breeze and yeah. you're like looking over a cliff dramatically every single time. <laughs> it feels like that. It does. Yeah. But I got into falconry when I was working at a zoo. So growing up, I actually had no interest in birds. I was always mammals, 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 um, horses in particular. Oh, we've all been there. Yeah. Horse girl. I still am. But at the zoo, they had a bird of prey yard, so they had vultures and hawks and falcons and bald eagles and, and everything, and I had to clean in there because I was an intern and originally just wasn't interested at all, started spending more time around the birds. And then one of my friends who was also interning was a falconer, so he had a red tail, and we would fly the bird back and forth glove to glove, and I was like, oh, this is actually really cool. <laughs> and then someone from the zoo got a call about a red tail that was caught in a fence, um, a juvenile red tail. And he was brought to the center, and that's why I got my falconry license, was to rehabilitate this bird. His name was Bean. What a good name. Oh, so cute. Uh, we had to tube feed him for a few days, and then um, got him on the glove, started flying him, helped him with hunting and lure training, and eventually released him. He's that bird that I started with uh, for stream. What a celebrity. He really is a celebrity. Uh, his release was a big deal for all of them. You released him like back like into the wild. Mm -hmm. What a success story. That's so cool. Because I feel like a lot of times you hear about like wildlife rescues that aren't able to be like rehabilitated and released. So it's always exciting when you hear about one that gets to fly home. Yeah. All the ambassadors we have at Alveus are non-releasable, but I've done quite a bit of wildlife rehab. So I was a rehabber when I moved to Texas for about a year. So I did lots of red tails, lots of other birds of prey, opossums, skunks, raccoons, all that. Uh, so I did a lot of releases for the first year I was in Texas, but Bean was my first release. Oh, what a special moment with a special bird. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. It was so cool. Okay, super, super quick. I know you said you're not a gamer, but I do have a video game recommendation okay. for to tap into the love of falconry. It is a game called The Pathless. The Pathless? I've never heard of the that. The Pathless. It's a short game. You can finish the whole game in like a weekend. You play as this character who is, uh, she is an archer and she has a companion that's like, it looks like a golden eagle. I think it is. But she, this bird is like her companion through the game where it like flies alongside you, lands on her shoulder and then like can carry you around to solve puzzles and stuff. That's so cool. You can like power up the bird so that it can like flap more and like carry you farther oh and gosh. so like it's basically like your companion in this game is this eagle that you're like wielding right like as your friend through the game so it is a very puzzle oriented game where you're mm -hmm. trying to like figure out where to go next and how to solve things and stuff i'm the type of person that gets immediately overwhelmed by like a complicated interface with too many buttons i can't do it yeah. and this is very much like not that at all it's super aesthetic <laughs> It's an extremely aesthetic game where you have an eagle. So if you did want to try a video game where you get to be a yeah, falconer. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't believe I've never seen this one before. Thank you. Back to the red-tailed hawks, because I'm really excited to talk about them. I'm pretty sure we have red-tailed hawks where I live. For sure. They're, they're the most common widespread bird of prey in the U.S. They're everywhere. 
we also have red shouldered hawks, which I think are a little bit difficult to like tell the difference if you don't 100% know what to look for. Yeah, for sure. We see hawks all over the place. So I'm really excited to talk about them so that I can have more like information and appreciation for them when I see them. So for people who are maybe listening and aren't super familiar with what hawks are or all about, maybe people who don't live in a place where they have a lot of hawks like ours, give us just like a quick intro to like, what is a hawk? Cool. Yeah. So a hawk is a, a bird of prey or a raptor. The raptor is the umbrella term that includes your vultures, your eagles, your falcons, and your hawks. Hawks are usually a more broad uh, species of bird of prey. They range lots of different sizes, lots of different colors. They're all over the world. But like I said, the red-tailed hawk is the most commonly observed bird of prey in North America. They're everywhere. They are mostly brown. They have like a creamy white breast. And when they're adults, after they hit a year, they get their adult plumage uh, and that's why they're called red-tailed hawks is they have this like deep amber red tail that's what they're famous for it's beautiful it's very striking yeah. yeah they're amazing they also like have just a very like beautiful intimidating face yeah right they have that like cat-like face almost birds of prey have a it's not angry looking but just very stoic they have a really heavy occipital ridge so above their eyes it's just really stern looking so it's hard to read them sometimes too in training because you look at a dog and dogs have these eyebrows and they can change their expression and and you can see a lot in their face and birds just kind of always have this really stern expression but it is really beautiful i didn't know that that was what that was called an occipital ridge Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. But that it does look like angry eyebrows. It does. It does. Yeah. In your time working with them, have you been able to, even though they have that sort of permanently angry expression, they have a little bit of RBF going on, I guess. In your time working with them, were you able to ever sort of like differentiate between their moods? Did they seem like they expressed emotion in some other way besides facial expression? Yeah, I think, well, absolutely in their behavior. I, I have learned a lot about their behavior. They'll they'll act different. They will, if they're stressed about something, they'll bait, which is a word for flying off the glove or flapping a lot or, you know, or being, or being scared. It's really hard to read their face, though. I don't think I've gotten to a point where I can look at them and know if they have like a soft expression or if they're happy in their face or anything like that. But there's lots of things that birds of prey do to, to express the way that they feel. They'll rouse, which is a term for puffing up their feathers. And they do this little shake thing, which is the cutest thing in the world. Um, so that's how you know they're happy if they're not flapping around and, you know, and trying to fly off the glove, you know, they're pretty content. Um, if they're comfortable enough to eat around you, you know, they're content. And you can gauge a lot of how motivated they are in training too, with, you know, how fast their response time is and stuff like that. But it's all in their behavior and pretty much none in their face from what I can see. I don't know. Some people might be better than me at that. <laughs> their actions that are speaking for them. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Listen, sometimes my uh, face doesn't exactly match my mood either. So Me too. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> We've all let our facial expressions do a little too much talking for <laughs> us. If this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in three different categories, the first of which is effectiveness. So for us, this means tools the animal has built into their body or ways that their body is adapted to thrive where they live, survive their environment, catch their prey. I know you said these are birds of prey, so they're predators. So like things that allow them to catch their prey or avoid becoming prey themselves. So as far as physical adaptations go, what would you give the red-tailed hawk out of 10 for effectiveness? I would give them like a 
I want to between a seven and an eight. That's pretty good. Maybe an eight. Yeah, it's. I mean, they're they're really really effective predators. Uh, so birds of prey, right? So they they hunt rodents, they hunt rabbits, sometimes small lizards, sometimes snakes, and they do all the hunting with their feet. So they have these super super strong feet. If you guys have seen falconers, you know that we wear pretty heavy leather gloves. And the reason that we wear those is to protect our arms and our hands from those talons. Crazy thing about wearing gloves is that it protects you from getting cut up by the talons, but doesn't necessarily protect you if they really wanted to grab your hand. They're so strong. They're bone-crushing talons. That's It's for oh, wow. hunting. So they're really good at grabbing things with their feet. Other cool thing about red tails is falcons will will hunt things in the air. They're known for being really fast. I mean, like 200 miles an hour fast, 300 miles an hour fast, you know, and we'll dive and, and get things out of the air. And red tails are built much more sturdy and much more broad so that they can crash through brush to get to their rabbits and their squirrels. Um, so they're just really sturdy, resilient birds. Tanky kind of hawk. Tank hawk. Yeah, just really, really tough. So yeah, I'd give them an eight. That makes sense for where they live because you mentioned they live in a, such a wide variety of different like biome types in North America. But a lot of the places where I typically see them are in like heavily forested areas or places with lots of trees. And so I would imagine they'd probably be doing quite a bit of crashing through the trees. <laughs> lots of crashing through brush. Yeah. They can be a, a little boisterous sometimes. We have a a retention pond behind our house, which brings in lots of critters, which of course attracts lots of hawks. So we see them constantly. They almost act like they know how tough they are and they know nothing around here can really like step to them. Yeah, they actually, your young red-tailed hawks, I think the survival rate in the first year is 30%. It's extremely low. Wow. Because they are just reckless they're they're like i can do anything i can kill anything you know um, and they get themselves into a lot of really dangerous situations a lot of that is anthropomorphic i mean a lot of juvenile hawks get hit by cars get you know struck by power lines stuff like that but they also just go after prey that they shouldn't and often and in really dangerous situations so they're they're brave birds i mean as any human teenager can tell you that can get you into trouble exactly sometimes. yeah but they have no mom or dad to say don't do that they just do it <laughs> <laughs> just like trial by error exactly Take swim let's figure it out yeah so in your time like working with wildlife rescue i'm sure you probably find a lot of hawks that have been injured because of these situations like that what would you say are like sort of the biggest i guess counters to hawks like what are the things that a hawk really has to worry about on a day-to-day -day basis lots of things actually so so we got in birds for lots of reasons we got lots of broken wings because they get hit by cars i've had several hawks that have been stuck in i don't actually know what it's called the grate in the front of a car oh like grill. the grill yes yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah lots yeah. of hawks that are stuck in grills rodenticides are a big problem for hawks and other birds of prey rat poison right rats and mice eat them and then they die over the next couple days because they don't want them to die in the house because then you have all these dead animals under your house so the idea is that they eat the poison and then they kind of travel and then they die away from your house but when they leave the house and they're poisoned and they're walking really slow they're a really easy target for birds of prey so a lot of birds will eat those rats and then get poisoned by rat poison so a lot of times people don't know that they're poisoning birds when they're putting out rat poison but that's a big one Power lines are a big one. Birds will just naturally land on power lines and get electrocuted. I've seen lots of feather damage from power lines. Are there any predators that will go for hawks? Not smart ones. <laughs> um, I'm trying to... Babies, yes. So oh, fledglings and, and young birds will get got by outdoor cats often. But 
Adult hawks, I don't think I've seen with a predator injury. Oh, the other big one is lead. Um, so lead bullets is super toxic to hawks, and if they scavenge on any prey or eat any prey that, that has lead in it, they're um, pretty much goners. And windows. Birds fly oh. into windows all the time um, and don't realize that, that it's a window, so head trauma is huge for them also. I have heard quite a bit about this. Uh, I've seen a lot of people talking about like ways you can decorate really your windows mm-hmm. to make them more visible to birds so that first of all the bird won't hit his head on your window and die and also your window won't get busted in by a bird flying up against it yeah. so it's really a win-win <laughs> it can be really fun too I, there are some fun window decorations <laughs> that you can put up i have a bunch in my apartment oh yeah what do yours look like i have um i bought these stained glass stickers from amazon and so it's just <gasps> wow. like a roll-off sticker but it makes my whole window look like stained glass it makes my apartment lots of different colors i have some bird stickers See, it's environmentally friendly and it's aesthetic. <laughs> it really is aesthetic. Like I would do it without birds, <laughs> but it is for the birds. It's for the birds, but also a little bit for you. Mm-hmm. So treat yourself, treat your birds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to some window decals. I've seen some really cool ones out there. So I highly encourage anybody to look around. But also, like you said, you know, keep your cats inside. Don't set out rat poison. We got to right. look out for a hawk buddies. Because based on what you told me, it sounds like their biggest problems are largely human-introduced problems. Yeah. So under more natural circumstances, they sound like they've kind of got it figured out. For sure. Hey there, we are going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're going to talk about ingenuity and aesthetics for red-tailed hawks, so stick around. Hello, I'm a stuffy dowager countess. Travis? I'm judging everybody's manners. Oh, no. Schmanners isn't judgy. It's about teaching you to be your best self, and be a little more confident when you enter social situations that you don't understand, and maybe also teach you a little bit about history you didn't know, or give you interesting things to talk about at parties. Yeah, like the secret life of Emily Post. Or like why wristwatches are the way that they are. We can talk about table manners from the Victorian era. Sure, or what it's like to attend a Regency Ball. Yeah. Uh, you can find all that and more if you listen to Schmanners on Maximum Fun or wherever your podcasts come from, I guess. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? A man goes to the doctor and says that he's depressed and that life seems cruel. The doctor says, ah, the treatment is simple. The great clown Pagliacci is in town tonight. Go and see him and you will surely feel better. The man bursts into tears and says, But doctor, I am Pagliacci. Ah, okay, says the doctor. In which case, try listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award-winning comedy podcast and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, since it sounds like they've kind of like got their body fully like kitted out, like they're good to go. They're tough. They're fast. They're strong. They got pointy bits all over the place. Both ends, right? Uh Sharp beak, sharp claws. Uh, Doesn't matter which side you're getting them from. You're going to get something sharp and pointy. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. They're kind of triple wielding, I guess. The second category that we rate animals on is ingenuity, which are things that they're doing with their body to like maybe solve problems that they face or adapt to like a changing world or just just kind of things that they're actively doing. What would you rate red-tailed hawks for ingenuity? 
That's a good question. This one's always the trickiest one. It is a tricky one. Because I wish I wish there was some like tool use or something that I could talk about. I don't think any has been observed with hawks. Hello, it is me editing this episode. This mention of tool use among hawks reminded me of something that I wanted to mention that isn't directly related to the red-tailed hawk, but I would be remiss if I did not include it. In Australia, some raptors, such as the whistling kite, black kite, and brown falcon, have been known to wield a very interesting tool, torches. When a wildfire starts, these birds will pick up branches or sticks that are smoldering or even actively on fire and carry them in their beaks or talons to a new location, intentionally spreading the fire. Why would they want to spread a wildfire, you might be wondering? For birds of prey, wildfires turn grasslands into basically hot buffets as small critters fleeing the flames are flushed out into the open, making them easy pickings. This behavior has earned these birds the name firehawks, and firehawks have played an important role in ecosystem management by people indigenous to Northern Australia for thousands of years. So for more on firehawks, check out the paper Intentional Fire Spreading by Firehawk Raptors in Northern Australia from the Journal of Ethnobiology in December of 2017. All right, back to red-tailed hawks. I will say they're extremely adaptable. They can live in lots of different climates. You know, your, your grasslands, your prairies, your cities. They can hunt pigeons in cities and they can hunt squirrels on, on prairie land, you know. So they're super adaptable in that sense. I think they're really versatile flyers. Um, I've flown hawks and falcons now. Falcons, when you fly them, they'll go a few hundred feet up in the air. And they're meant to travel long distances. So they'll go really fast, but for a really long time. And your hawks can do really short flights. And they can fly not quite like a falcon, but they can do pretty long long range flights as well. So they're good at that. A lot of times you'll see red-tailed hawks on the top of telephone poles. Yes. So they'll, they'll sit at the top of the post and they get really good vantage points so they can look down and just dive when they see something. But at the same time, they will hunt while they're soaring as well. So they'll catch these things called thermals, which is if you see a red-tailed hawk kind of soaring in the sky with just wings out, not really flapping, it's usually because they caught a thermal, which is a column of warm air that rises. So they'll ride it and just go up on this, on this column of air. So they'll go in circles at the top without really having to fly and watch for prey that way as well. So they're using like thermodynamics. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they're fully wielding physics. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so they use the wind to their advantage. But if there's a telephone pole, they'll also sit there for days at a time and use that to their advantage and conserve energy that way. So they're just super resourceful. We have um, red-shouldered hawks mm-hmm. that like to hang out in our backyard. They do like to sit on our back fence. And what is really cool about that is that in the, I think, three years that we've lived in this house now, we have never seen a squirrel in our backyard. That's crazy. Never. Because we have hawks out there. Yeah. And these hawks are incredible. If you go like a quarter of a mile down the street, squirrels everywhere. Yeah. But not in our yard. Wow. <laughs> Because these hawks clear them out. Yeah, squirrels learn where they are. They absolutely do. Um, I will ask you about this because I saw a hawk. I've seen this hawk behavior over the last few weeks that maybe you have some insight on. I have noticed very consistently hawks being harassed to the point that they are being chased away by mockingbirds. Yep. Is this a thing? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Mockingbirds, crows... Blackbirds, grackles, I mean, they do not want hawks in their space. It's bizarre, too, because I'll see mockingbirds chase Cooper's hawks, and those are bird-eating 
hawks um cooper's hawks go after mockingbirds that's like their main so i don't know what how they're able to do that or, or why they're able to do that but they're just really protective over their nesting sites and they chase them away i don't know i guess those are birds that are satiated at the time and um, aren't interested in hunting but yeah i see it happen all the time mockingbirds are especially intense about it i have personally been chased by a mockingbird <laughs> so i can attest to it <laughs> yeah they're wild it must take something to go after an apex predator like a hawk like that. Truly. Especially the ones that the one that I saw I saw recently, like in April, a single mockingbird just going like swooping over this Cooper's hawk over and over. And the Cooper's hawks I've seen kill mockingbirds in the wild, so I was just like, What what are you doing? And he was doing <laughs> it on the ground too, so it wasn't even right by his nest. I have to give them some points for bravery there. I mean the hawks have their own points for bravery based on what you said. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe perhaps to their detriment. Right. In that first year, absolutely, yeah. But there's something to be said for confidence. Yeah. Have you ever experienced when working one-on-one with red-tailed hawks or any sort of hawk, really? This is not specific to just this species. Have you ever had an experience where you were, like, working with one of these birds and it just did something that really, like, surprised you or caught you off guard or made you be like, wow, that was, like, a very interesting thing that you did? This is the worst answer ever. The first thing I thought of was the first time I saw one sneeze. I was oh my like, gosh. Oh. <laughs> That's so funny that you said that because like I've that wouldn't be something that would have ever crossed my mind that I know. they even I was, would have the capacity to sneeze. I was trying to think of something cool and dramatic like that, you know, where there was a breakthrough with training or something. But the first thing that came to mind was I, I have a yeah, I have a video of it. Um but I was just sitting with that bird bean in the grass and I mean, I think it was a sneeze, sounded like a sneeze, looked like a sneeze. And I was just, I was like, I've, I've never seen a bird sneeze. <laughs> so I guess that surprised me. It makes sense yeah. when you say it. You're like, yeah. well, yeah, naturally they would. Right. It was cute. Does it seem to you like over the time of working with these birds, do you feel like they start to like develop relationships with specific people where like they recognize who you are and have like a specific relationship with you as a person as opposed to other people that may work with the same bird yeah absolutely every bird species is so different i mean the the diversity in birds you know is absurd you know we have hummingbirds and emus and parrots and falcons but with birds of prey in particular they're very food motivated they're not affectionate so they're not like a dog where they get excited to see you, you know, and want pets and stuff like that. We don't pet our birds, but they definitely know who you are. I've seen birds that won't fly to new people um, that are really sensitive. Even when someone walks by their enclosure that they don't know, they get really agitated. But most of the relationship is based off of positive reinforcement that comes from food. Same. Honestly, yeah. that's, the, that's the path to my heart, too. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you give me some treats, we're best friends. Yeah. So. I've heard that with pet birds, especially types of parrots, right? Parrots being like incredibly intelligent birds, um, but also with other types of birds that aren't necessarily parrots. I've heard that like enrichment and providing like mental stimulation is something that's really important for the bird. Is that something that you have to incorporate into your care for the hawks too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, enrichment is super important for not just birds and not just birds of prey but all animals in captivity because there's so many behaviors that they would be performing in the wild that they don't have access to in an enclosure in captivity so we have to give them the opportunity to do things like that with falconry we do we'll freeze quail wings you know and, and ice blocks in the summer so that they can pick it out there's foraging behaviors like that if we have access to carcasses we'll give them carcasses so they can forage that way 
will put food in boxes for hawks, another foraging behavior. And then the biggest enrichment behavior for me with birds of prey is flying and free flight. So any birds that I have in captivity, if they have the opportunity and they're able to free fly, I will train them to the point of free flying. I think it's super important. Have you ever seen lure training with a falcon or lure flying? Is it similar to lure training with a dog where you like drag a lure and let let them follow it? Yeah. So with falconry, well, falconers will swing a lure, right? And then the bird will come down and try to get the lure and then I'll do a lap and come down and try to get the lure. So it's like a game of cat and mouse. Um, And from an enrichment perspective, it's a simulated hunt. So we do that for them for enrichment as well. That's also how we get our birds back when we're free flying is we call them down to the lure and they know that that lure means food or their full meal. So- that's the biggest one for me. But yeah, enrichment is key for facilities like mine. What do those like free flights look like? Do you just like take them out into a big field and let them just flap around? <laughs> yeah, different for, for every bird. So free flying with a hawk, we do hawk walks. A hawk walk. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I like more wooded areas for hawks. So you go out and you let them fly up to a tree and then you just go for a walk and they track you tree to tree. Um, and then you call them down. You won't do lure flights with hawks, really. They don't have the stamina to do laps and come back and forth for the lure. But with falcons, you want no trees, big open field, and you let your bird go up and they fly like a couple hundred feet in the air and they'll fly for a couple miles at a time and you'll you'll fly a lure back and forth. Uh, so it looks very different for, for different types of birds. You mentioned earlier that the teenage hawks, which are maybe a little reckless and a little boisterous, don't have their parents around to teach them the ropes, basically. I know a lot of birds, you know, will have their nest with their babies and, you know, either the mama or both parents or like one of the parents at least will be there to kind of wait until the baby is ready to fly. And then, you know, the that there's a lot of parental care involved with birds. Is this the case with hawks or are they just kind of left to their own? Yeah. So because there's so much diversity in birds, all species of baby birds have such different experiences. So your ducklings and your waterfowls are what's known as precocial species. So they come out all fluffy and walking. The cute ones. (laughs) The cute ones. Yeah. They come out fluffy and they're following their parents immediately after hatching out of the egg. Um, And then the hawks and songbirds are altricial, which means they're born helpless. They need a lot more parental care. They're born naked pretty ugly, you know, in the nest and their parents have to come back and feed them. So hawks are altricial. They're, well, they're born fluffy, but not anywhere near flighted. And their parents will come back to feed them. They can't eat bones. They can't eat feathers. They can't eat fur. So the parents will have to skin everything and and feed them all in the nest. Uh, And as they grow and they develop those feathers, they become hard penned, which just means that they have all their feathers and then they fledge. So they fledge the same way that songbirds do, which is just taking that first jump from the nest. They'll usually be on the ground for like one to five days before they really get get the hang of it. And then once they're flying on their own, once they're fledged, their parents will come down to the ground too to feed them for a couple days. But after that, they're on their own. I feel like that like being on the ground phase is so vulnerable. Yes, it is so dangerous for being a helpless little guy with no line of defense. You're out of your element. But also, I feel like that's the point where a lot of people come across the baby bird on the ground Mm -hmm. and then are like, oh, no, there is a baby bird in peril. What do I do? Uh, I know this is kind of the prime like time of year for people to be having those questions about like, oh, no, I found a baby bird. What do I do with it? Mm -hmm. As like a wildlife rehabilitator, like what, what would you say to somebody who like found a baby bird? Like, what do you do? Yeah, we get those calls all the time. So the first question is, 
is it a fledgling or is it a nestling, right? So it does it have some of its feathers? If it's a little bit fluffy, that's fine. If it's a nestling, it gets only fuzz or it's a naked bird, then it should not be on the ground, right? If it's a fledgling, then my next question is, do you have pets? Is it, you know, is it in your backyard? Is your dog going to run out there and grab it? Are there outdoor cats? If so, try your best to keep them separate. The next best thing is just to leave it alone. Uh, if you move it too far, the parents might not be able to find it to feed it if that's something that the parents are still doing. So the best answer is to leave it alone unless you have a pet that's going to harm it or if it's injured, obviously, or unhealthy, or it's like laying on the ground on its side, that's unnatural for a bird. Or if there's any blood, then we have people bring it into a rehab center. Okay. So when in doubt, call a professional. <laughs> yeah. And then I have to throw in here because we're talking about this. We have so many people that have the same problem with baby deer, especially at this time of year. So people will see baby deer spots, right? And they'll have their Bambi moment and they'll pick it up and bring it to the rehab center and say, I found this orphan deer. Um, and we call it deer napping because <laughs> oh, they, no. the mom will leave the baby in a safe spot for most of the day and she'll go out and forage during the day and come back and nurse at night. So the babies are left alone most of the day. And if that baby's healthy and it's not dehydrated, the way you can tell if it's dehydrated is if its ears are curled up. But if it looks healthy otherwise and is breathing okay and, you know, not bloody or anything, it's always best to just leave that deer because the mom knows where it is and will come back. When in doubt, if you have any questions, just don't touch it. Yeah, don't touch it or you call Wildlife Rehab Center and they'll tell you what to do. Yeah, for sure. It is completely well-intentioned. I know everybody, you Absolutely. see an animal that appears to be in peril and your immediate instinct is like, I must help. Like, mm -hmm. I have to do what I can to help support this animal, especially a sweet little baby. Right. Exactly. So I'm glad that we have some perspective on what to do when you come across a baby animal that is maybe not in a situation that you think it should be in. Since we are talking about cute and adorable fuzzy little babies, the last category that we rate animals on is aesthetics, which is literally just how nice the animal is to look at. Purely vibes only. Absolute arbitrary opinion. What would you give red-tailed hawks out of 10 for aesthetics? 10 easy it's gotta be right it's gotta be their red-tailed hawks are my favorite animal which is saying a lot because i work with a lot of animals <laughs> um but they're just so st i've used the word stoic but they're just so stoic and strong and beautiful and they're soft and their feathers are shiny and red and brown and oh there's just they're they're beautiful birds you get some of the dinosaur elements too yeah absolutely they're all, all birds are dinosaurs it's crazy though when you compare to the skeletal structure between our, our modern birds and dinosaurs it's so crazy to look at they're so cool the one that i'm thinking of right now is i recently did a educational presentation with my emu and i got a comparison between an emu skeleton and a terror bird um, which was just like a terrestrial dinosaur kind of same size but it was like facing the same direction and taken from the same angle and I, if you didn't label them, I would be like, I don't know. Like, I think they're the same. Um, so they're they're pretty crazy. Yeah. You know what? Have you watched Prehistoric Planet yet? Not yet, but I'm so excited to. I've heard it's insane. It is so pleasant. Oh, I'm <laughs> so excited. so good to watch. And I'm not going to spoil anything. Maybe I'll let, no, I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody um, uh -huh. because you haven't watched it yet. And I know probably a lot of people listening haven't watched it yet. If you haven't watched it yet, it's on Apple TV. If you don't want to like sign up for a whole subscription to Apple TV, you can do what we did and get a seven day free trial. 
and watch Prehistoric Just Planet. Prehistoric Planet. And we did. Like- <laughs> we got a trial for Prehistoric Planet. Yeah. But then Ted Lasso got us and we were like, oh, man, uh-huh. now, now we got to keep it. That's a good show. That's how they got you. But so in Prehistoric Planet, of course, naturally, T-Rex is in so many episodes, but they like applied very, very specific and interesting modern bird behavior to all of the dinosaurs in the show mm-hmm. in in very un, like, unexpected ways. And when you said emu, it, it particularly made me think of it because I saw some behaviors in the T-Rex that made uh-huh. me think I was like, this is just a giant emu. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. I feel like working with hawks is probably you just feel like you're like working in Jurassic Park every day. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's nothing like being around dogs, you know, cats. <laughs> it feels very, very special. Especially in the feet. Those are sheer dinosaur feet. Absolutely. Plain and simple. Yeah. Raptors. Yeah. They're still here. They're among us to this day. Yeah. Well, I agree. I think they're incredible, beautiful creatures. And I'm glad to know more about them so that when I do see them sitting on top of our telephone poles or outside of what is supposed to be our bluebird boxes Uh (laughs) behind our house, uh, which are not bluebird boxes because hawks have decided that they are actually hawk perches. So now the bluebirds won't go anywhere near the box. (laughs) It's okay. I'd kind of rather have the hawk anyway. They're cool to see. They're pretty cool. Now when I see them sitting all over our neighborhood, I will appreciate them a little bit deeper. Before we head out for today, I would love it if you could let our friends listening know, where can they like follow you on social media, keep up with your work, watch your streams and see all your cool content and keep up with your sanctuary? Yeah, absolutely. So my main platform is Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash Maya, M-A-Y-A. That's it. Maya on Twitch. And then on YouTube, it's my full name, which is Maya Higa. On Instagram, it's Maya underscore Higa. And then the sanctuary is Alveus. So A-L-V-E-U-S sanctuary. We have a website and Alveus has a Twitch channel as well. I will provide links to all of those things in the description. So just scroll down on your podcatcher and all the links will be underneath. So you can click on through to all of that stuff. Is your sanctuary like, is it a nonprofit that does donations? Like, is there any way people can like support y'all's work? Yes, it is a 501c3 nonprofit. There's lots of ways to donate. We have a donate page on that website. Awesome. So everybody go check out Maya's work, check out Alveus's sanctuary. And I'm so excited about the work you're doing. I feel like, you know, we had such a a wildlife educational content, like golden age in the 90s, you know, where like every kid wanted to be a marine biologist or every kid wanted to be Steve Irwin. Mm -hmm. And like there were so many like figures that inspired people to get really interested in conservation work and wildlife work. And so uh, I feel like now we can expect another wave of people that are getting really interested and passionate about wildlife work. That's so nice. I hope so. I think so. That's a lovely thought. Yeah. (laughs) I think we'll see another uh, upcoming generation of incredible wildlife workers. I hope so. That'll probably be like, oh, yeah, I always wanted to work in conservation ever since I watched Maya on Twitch when I was a kid. (laughs) That's so cute. We need all of them. For sure. I'm welcoming them with open arms. (laughs) Me too. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Maya. Everybody go check out. Everybody go follow Maya on Twitch and YouTube and support Alvea's Sanctuary. It has been a delight. And we will talk to you later. Thank you so much. 
Thank you all so much for listening, friends. I hope that you enjoyed getting a glimpse into the life of the red-tailed hawk and what it's like to work up close and personal with some truly amazing animals. If you liked what you heard today, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a good review on your podcatcher, like the one we got on Apple Podcasts from Justine377, who said some really kind things about us and our show, including... I feel like I'm just vibing with my two friends every episode. I've recommended this podcast to practically everyone I know. Thank you, Justine, and everyone else who has offered kind words for us. It really does uh, not just get new folks to listen to the show, but it also encourages us and motivates us to keep doing the show for y'all. So we really appreciate it. If you do want to hang out online, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We even have a Discord server that's really fun. Uh, I stream video games on Twitch on Thursday nights. This week, the 23rd, I am playing a game called Webbed, where you play as a spider swinging around on webs. It looks super fun. So links to our socials will be in the episode description below. And if you have a cool animal you want to hear us talk about, send me an email at ellen at just the zoo of us.com. Thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on your network alongside your other wonderful shows like the ones that you heard promos for here today. You can check those shows out and learn more about the network at MaximumFun.org. And while you're there, consider signing up for a membership to keep us going along with the rest of the shows in the network. For those of you who signed up during the Max Fun Drive, the three new coloring sheets that were promised as a goal reward are up now. You can download and print the new original coloring sheets of a pangolin, whale shark, and octopus on our website, justthezooofus.com, and show it to me when you're done. I'd love to see it. Finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our just fantastic spectacular amazing theme music and that is all for today we'll see you next week thanks bye MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.